Well, thank you for that, ladies. I appreciate that. And the Lord does want us to give him our heart. And uh, I'm thankful that the Lord gave us much more than his heart. He gave us his son. And uh, it's not too much for him to ask for us to give us, to give him, his, give, give him our heart. There we go. Well, let's uh, take our Bible and turn to Mark chapter number 14. Um, Mark chapter 14. And we're going to read a few verses here. As we consider uh, this subject, Christ in court. We're going through the book of Mark, and we find ourselves now as Jesus is in court. And as you're finding that, uh, would you please join me in standing for the reading of God's Word, Mark 14. We're going to start in verse number 53, and um, we'll, uh, we'll just keep reading here, and I'm not sure where we'll stop. <laughs> Uh, verse 53, the Bible says this, And they led Jesus away to the high priest. And with him were assembled all the chief priests, and the elders, and the scribes. And Peter followed him afar off, even into the palace of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. And the chief priests and all the council sought for witness against Jesus to put him to death, and found none. For many bear false witness against him, but their witness agreed not together. And there arose certain and bear false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But neither so did their witness agree together. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? What is it? Uh, which these witnesses are, which these witness against thee. But he held his peace and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the blessed? Jesus said, I am. And ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And the high priest rent his clothes and saith, What need we any further witnesses? Ye have heard the blasphemy. What think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to buffet him and to say unto him, Prophecy or prophesy. And the servants did strike him with the palms of their hands. And let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this service. Thank you for each one that's here. Lord, now we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the passage that's before us. And, Lord, it's a sad passage, but, God, there's some valuable lessons for us in this passage. And I pray, Lord, that you would illumine our hearts this morning, that you would teach us from your word, and that, Lord, as you speak to us, that we would not just be good hearers, but that we would be good doers of the word, that we would apply the truth to our lives. And, Lord, I pray that you'd help me today as... I preach your word. Help, help me to be able to articulate the truth here clearly and help it to be easy to understand and easy to apply. And I pray, Lord, that you would just work in a great way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. How many of you, by show of hands, if you're willing to admit it, have ever been inside a courtroom? Would you raise your hand? Oh, most of us have been inside a courtroom. I have been to court a few times in my life, a few times as a visitor. I remember 
as um, I think it was in like sixth grade, we went to the local courtroom on a field trip to an actual trial, to an actual uh, court case. And uh, I was there as a visitor, and I remember that very, very distinctly. I've been to uh, uh, several court, inside courtrooms as a potential jury member, hoping that I'd, my name didn't get called, and I got so close. Um, and I know that it, it would be you know, my civic duty to uh, do jury duty. Um, I know that, um, and if that ever happened, I would be willing to do so. But there was one time I appeared in a courtroom as a guilty law offender. You probably should have asked me about this before you asked me to become your pastor. Um, it's just now coming out. Uh, but confession is good for the soul, and so that's what I'm doing this morning. You see, uh, this is back in my days uh, in California. I was caught speeding. And I was told to appear at traffic court. And so I remember getting up early because you have to show up early there and, and uh, wait all day and, and, until your name gets called. And, and I did that. And, uh, and there was many others there with me who were all in the same boat to uh, answer for their crime against speeding laws. And uh, so that was uh, my time as a guilty offender there in court. Now, here we find in our passage before us today, we find the Lord Jesus just hours before his crucifixion, he was in court. Now, I want to invite you as we walk through this passage that I just read a few moments ago, and we're going to walk through this very sad passage together and learn some important lessons in the details mentioned here. And uh, we're going to have to kind of focus in today. Um, I, I, I don't have a ton of um, you know, illustrations, so uh, li listen intently today and, and, and focus in on what the Lord has for us. So first, as we walk through this uh, sad passage together, the first detail I want us to look at is the council. The council. In verse number 53, um, after uh, Jesus is taken there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and by the way, Everybody thinks they're taking Jesus, but Jesus is actually giving himself up. Uh, he showed himself there in the garden that he had the power to uh, take his life and to lay it down, and no one, had, no one had the power to take him. He was literally giving himself up and saying, I surrender, you can, you can take me along. Well, they, they take him, and verse number 53 says, they led Jesus away to the high priest. Now, actually, there's a detail that Mark did not mention that John does. And so we're going to just take a quick uh, field trip over here to John chapter 18, if you would join me there very quickly, and, and we'll be right back in Mark 14 in just a moment. But I want to show you the timeline. So technically, uh, there's something that takes place between what we just read, Jesus being taken in the garden, to where we are in verse 53. So John 18 gives us that detail. John 18, verse number um, 12. So... Verse 11 is Jesus talking to Peter about don't cut, don't cut the, the, the ear off of, of the servant. Uh, put up thy sword in the sheath, the cup which my father hath given me, shall, not I, shall I not drink it? Okay, then verse 12. Then the band and the captain and the officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him and laid, led him away to Annas first, for he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. 
Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And then um, on it goes here, verse number 19, um, picks up there, the high priest asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. And then verse 24, there, there's a conversation between Jesus and Annas. And then we go down to verse 24. Now Annas had sent him bound unto Caiaphas, the high priest. And then now let's flip back to Mark 14. <laughs> Because th this is now where it picks up after that account in John. So they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. Now the Sanhedrin was made up of these chief priests, elders, and scribes, and they all come together. By the way, this is, this is like after hours. You know, this is not like, you know, a nine in the morning scenario. This is late at night. This is getting close to midnight. And, you know, when most people would be going to bed, when most people would be asleep, these men were uh, very hungry to take Jesus out. And so they all gather together and uh, they form this, uh, this trial and, and Jesus is there in the midst of them. Now... The body of 71 religious leaders was presided over by the high priest. Now, we know, we learn later in, in a different uh, book of the Bible who the high priest was. It was Caiaphas. Okay? And uh, on this particular night, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, scribes, and elders who comprised the Sanhedrin showed a complete disregard for the rules under which they operated. I mean, what was happening here, this little court case that was happening, and Jesus was there in court, this little court case was totally illegal. They, they didn't follow the laws that they had in place for dealing with this type of scenario. I mean, these laws have been completely disregarded. And they were willing to uh, pull this together and just do this haphazardly, all so they could silence this Jesus of Nazareth once and for all. Uh, here's the deal. These leaders were not supposed to meet at night or during any of the Jewish feasts. And there they were, uh, doing a Jewish feast and at night. They were not supposed to bribe witnesses to commit perjury. And a death verdict that they were hoping for was not to be carried out until a night had elapsed. And uh, so they... Uh, in their eagerness to do away with the Lord Jesus, these authorities did not hesitate to stoop to breaking their own laws. And, and the council's here, and they're, they're all gathered together to try to take Jesus away, and they're like, well, it doesn't really matter about these laws because we have a bigger purpose here, and that is to silence the Son of God. Well, they didn't know He was the Son of God. They didn't think He was, but uh, they wanted to do this. So there Jesus is, and that's the council. But then as we move down through this passage, I want us to see secondly here, the coward. Verse number 54. So here we have Peter mentioned. And, and Mark says, Peter followed him afar off. Now, if you remember back in uh, verse number 50, if you look back in verse number 50, the Bible says, And they all forsook him and fled. So Peter was part of the ones who bailed on Jesus at that point, but now he comes back and starts following him again, which took some courage, no doubt, but there was still some distance between him and his Savior, him and the Lord Jesus. Now, 
he follows him afar off, and he gets even to the palace of the high priest, and he sat with the servants, and he warmed himself at the fire. So my question is, why, Peter, didn't you step up with that courage that you announced to Jesus just a few hours before? If you go back up to verse number, um, let's go back up to verse number 27 of Mark 14. And Jesus said unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd. And the sheep shall be scattered, but after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. And then here Peter announces uh, his uh, allegiance to the Lord Jesus, his loyalty. And Peter said, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And then Jesus says, Verily I say unto thee, This day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently. If I should die with thee, I will, not, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. So here Peter announces that he's never going to deny the Lord, that he's going to be faithful to Christ no matter what. Where is that same courage now? I mean, I'm, I'm glad that he decided now to start following him, but, but there was some distance. He wasn't willing to stand by his side and say, hey, I'm here with you till, through thick and thin, and I'm, I'm going to stay with you no matter what. Where was he now? And, and why didn't he step up with that courage? What was it? Was he afraid for his own life all of a sudden? I mean, again, he said, if I should die with thee, it doesn't matter. I'll give my life for you, Lord. By the way, just a spoiler alert, Peter ultimately did give his life for the Lord. But here in this scenario, he was following, but there was some distance. Was he confused as to why Jesus was going with, with all these men and, and going down to this courtroom? Was he confused as to what was going on? We don't totally know, totally know for sure, but we do know that there was some distance between Peter and his Lord. And, and do you remember during, well, we don't really like to bring up 2020 and the COVID scenario, but do you remember, because that's not something any of us really enjoy remembering and reliving, but do you remember the big thing that was mentioned in those days was social distancing? You know, and I remember even, you know, when we came back to meet here at Cornerstone Baptist Church, we took out, I think, half our rows or we blocked off half our rows, you know, every other row. And, and we were wanting to make sure there was enough space around everybody and, you know, the six feet and all that stuff. I was going to say nonsense, but... Um, Okay, I'll say it. Nonsense. And anyway, there was that social distancing that we were just trying to, they were trying to ingrain in us to, to keep distance from everyone. Well, Peter did a pretty good job of keeping his distance from the Lord here. And you know what? Sometimes we can do the same thing in our own lives when there's spiritual distance between us and the Lord. And again, it's easy to be critical of Peter in this moment. I mean, after all Jesus did for him, how could he allow distance to come between him and the Lord that he loves so much? Well, again, we all need to look at our own lives and say, okay, how many times have I been spiritually distant from the Lord? Have I followed Jesus, but there's, I'm following him far off? You see, the Lord desires to be close to us. In fact, He desired it so much that He went to extreme measures to make a way for us to be close for Him. 
If you were here on uh, Wednesday night, we talked about the middle wall of partition between us and God uh, and, and, and how Jesus came to take away that partition so that we can have a relationship with Christ. We can have a relationship with God. Ephesians 2.13, because of what Christ did for us, now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. See, Jesus, what he did for us on the cross was allowed it to be, made it possible for us to be close to the Lord, to, to have a relationship with God. See, before that, we, we weren't really able to because of our, because of our sin. He, he even invites us to be close to him. In James 4.8, we find the conditional promise, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. He wants us to be close to him. He wants us to be right there with him. And, and by the way, you can be because of Christ. Sometimes, even though we have that, the, the, the way made possible and we have the invitation, still there's some distance. We're following him, yeah, but we're following him afar off like Peter was. You see, in our own Christian life, God wants to be close to us, but not every Christian is close to the Lord. Peter, who is the coward here, and I'll have to apologize to him later when I get to heaven and for calling him a coward, but I think he would even admit that he was at this point. But First uh, Peter chapter number um, 1, I'm sorry, it's going to be Second Peter chapter 1, I believe, yes. Peter wrote these words in verse number 5, beside this, Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to brotherly and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness uh, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. See, Peter in this little passage here is basically saying, look, if you're not growing, you're ultimately going backwards. And Peter would know. We could flip back to Mark 14. Peter would know because you see there was a time in his life when he himself was going the wrong direction, came to a point where he was spiritually distant from the Lord. He was following him, which a lot of Christians would say, oh, I'm following him. Oh, I'm in, I'm in church on Sunday morning. Oh, uh, you know, I call myself a Christian. But there's some distance between them and the Lord. Stories told about an old farm couple who were driving along in their pickup when the wife looked at her husband and said, you know, we never sit all snuggled up in the truck like we used to. And the husband looked at her and said, well, I ain't, I ain't ever moved. And the point was, look, when we discover that when we're not as close to God as we once were, understand this, God ain't ever moved. It was us that moved was us that drew away from him. See, God stays the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's the Lord, and he changes not. And he's not moving away from us. It is us that draws away from him. And so today, if there's spiritual distance in your life between you and the Lord, guess what? It's not God's fault. 
I hate to break it to you, but it's yours. And it's mine if that's the case in my life. And all of us are prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. All of us are. And so today, if you find yourself following the Lord afar, afar off, can I encourage you to, uh, look, we don't have to be socially distant with the Lord. He's not afraid of our germs. <laughs> He's not afraid of the uh, little molecules that come out of our mouth. He wants us to be close to Him. He invites us to have a close, intimate relationship with Him. So if there's distance, can I encourage you to take that next step today? Whatever it may be, take the next step toward closeness with the Lord. And guess what? He promises to take a step closer to you when you do that. So there was the counsel, there was the coward, but now let's look at number three, the counterfeits as we continue on through this passage. Verse 55, the chief priests and all the council sought for witnesses against Jesus to put him to death and found none. But they did find some who were willing to share some false truth. false witness. See, here was a desperate attempt to find legal reason to put Jesus to death, and, and they needed witnesses to step up, and they did find witnesses. The Bible says in verse 56, many bear false witness against him. And, and how, how sad that was. I mean, no doubt, all of these other witnesses, all these, the many here who bear false witness uh, had actually witnessed the Lord do great and mighty things in their midst. No doubt they heard the stories of Him uh, performing all the miracles that He did and, and doing good and going about trying to help people and be a blessing. And, and, and yet here they come bearing false witness. How sad. But the issue was that these witnesses simply could not agree. Verse number 56, for many bear false witness against him, but their witness agreed not together. They were like, no, no, that's not how it happened. That's not what he said. Here's what he said. And then it was like, okay, well, this isn't working here. We're not getting a, um, a, a definitive evidence here that we could use to sentence Jesus to death. And some even said in verse number 58, or there arose certain in verse 57, and bear false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But neither so did their witness agree together. So, um, by the way, that was a reference to something Jesus did say, but not exactly the same thing that they said here. <laughs> Um, he was really saying that if his body were to be destroyed, he would raise it up in three days, a promise of his resurrection. It, it had nothing to do with the actual temple there. And I think what was happening in those days is what happens in ours. It's like the old game of telephone, right? Someone hears something, repeats it, and by the time it gets down the line, it's totally, totally different than the original statement. And uh, that's what was happening here. And, and there, as a result, verse 59, neither so did their witness agree together. Now, as I think about these counterfeit witnesses, I do have one question. Again, where was Peter? I mean, they found a lot to bear false witness, but, but where was someone who was close to Jesus who could give true witness to who Jesus really was? I mean, Peter could have been that guy. He said he would be. He 
said he would never deny the Lord. And where is he? I mean, he was one who would spend considerable time with the Lord Jesus. He saw Jesus love others. Peter was one who could have testified at that moment. He could have stood up and said that Jesus was indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God. That Jesus had healed people, raised the dead, fed the multitudes, and done all these things to prove the fact that he was the Messiah. Where was Peter? Oh, that's right. He was hanging out by the fire, warming himself and probably making some s'mores. Uh, he, he's over there, you know, kind of concerned about his own comfort and perhaps worried about his own safety. And he's among the enemies. When someone could have stood up and be a, been a genuine witness, where was Peter? He wasn't there. Now, until the Lord makes all things new, and one day that will happen, and I'm looking forward to that day, but until then, there's going to continue to be false witnesses. There's going to be those who speak against Christ and, and maybe sound good, but, but the truth is they're, they're counterfeit. They're not the real deal. There's going to be counterfeits out there. I remember when I was in California, and I've mentioned this a few times, but um, I was a youth pastor there, and one of the uh, couples that helped us in, the, in our youth group uh, were the Athertons. And, and Brother Atherton was just a great guy. He just loved teenagers, and he, he was just kind of like an older kid, you know. And uh, he just really enjoyed uh, ministering to the teenagers. Well, his wife, uh, she worked at a bank. And it came up in conversation once, I believe, that uh, we asked her about counterfeit bills. How do you, how do you determine... Um, you know, the counterfeit bills. And she says, oh, we don't really worry about like trying to figure out like all the new counterfeit methodology and what they all look like and all those things. She said, we just kind of focus on having the bankers deal with the real deal constantly. And then when something comes along that is a counterfeit, it kind of raises a flag. And they pull it aside and they're like, this doesn't feel like everything else that I've been feeling. Now, I realize that this is an older illustration, okay, because no one uses cash anymore, uh, right? Uh, but back in those days, the cash was pretty prevalent and all that. And, um, and so anyway, the, the point is, you know, when it comes to truth, you and I just need to be so familiar with this book here that when anything comes that's different than this, it catches our attention and raises a red flag. Instead of us focusing on all the counterfeits out there and all the different uh, ideas that are contrary to the Bible, let's just determine that we're going to be very familiar with the scriptures, that when something comes along that's different than the scriptures, we kind of go, well, that, that, that's not right. Wait a minute, there's something, there's something off about that. And again, I do want to encourage you to come back tonight to hear those comments about the revival. Because that's what I'm talking about. We need to understand what the Word of God says. It is our final authority for faith and practice. This is the authority, not our feelings, not what is going on around us, but the Word of God. Amen. And there's going to continue to be counterfeits out there, and you and I need to be familiar with the truth, with the real deal, so that we can catch the counterfeit uh, theology that it gets when it gets mentioned. We can, we can catch those things. 
So we see the counterfeits. Then number four, let's look at the confrontation as we continue on through this. In verse number 60, the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? See, at this point, these false witnesses, these counterfeits, can't agree, so the high priest takes over. And if he can, if Caiaphas can't find someone else to give real witness against Jesus, he will question Jesus himself. So Caiaphas, in a sense, calls Jesus to the witness stand and asks him if he wants to respond to all of these witnesses. And as he asks that question, what happens in verse number 60? Answerest thou nothing? What is, the, what, what, is, what is it which these witness against thee? Question mark. Verse 61, but he held his peace and answered nothing. So Caiaphas gives him a chance to respond to all these false accusations and crickets, absolutely nothing. See, Jesus was not here in this courtroom to defend himself. Although he was indeed completely innocent and, and had done absolutely nothing to deserve to be there, let alone to be sentenced to death, he was still silent. Now why? Well, because Isaiah 53, verse number 7, promised that he would be silent. And that verse says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. It wasn't there. He wasn't there to say, Hey, I haven't done anything wrong. I'm innocent. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. Like what usually gets said in courtrooms all across the land over and over again. Jesus, he really was truly innocent, but he didn't say anything. He could have defended himself, but he didn't. Then Caiaphas asked Jesus in verse 61, If Jesus is indeed the Christ, the Son of the blessed... Verse 61, he held his peace and answered nothing. And again, the high priest asked him and said, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the blessed? It was a little... Um, they were superstitious about using the name Jehovah at that point. And so that's why he said, Are thou the Christ, the Son of the blessed? He didn't want to say, The Son of Jehovah. But then Jesus, I love his response in verse 62. Jesus said, I am. He basically said, he used Jehovah's name there. And what he said was, I am Jehovah, I am God, I am Christ, I am the son of Jehovah. I am the one that y'all think I say that I am, but I really am him. And then he points to the future in verse 62. He goes on to say, And one day ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. He says, I am Jehovah. I am the Christ. I am the Son of Jehovah. I am the one that you're afraid to talk about. I'm right here in front of you. And one day I'm going to come back. And you're going to see me. And it's going to be powerful. And it's going to be amazing. It points to the future. Well, let's look at fifthly here as we uh, wrap this up. The condemnation. Verse number 63. As soon as Jesus says that, 
The high priest rent his clothes and saith, What need we any further witnesses? Well, we, we got him. Look what he just said. Hey, this is amazing. We got him. Now they have their testimony to put Jesus to death. It was Jesus who gave this testimony. They got him to admit that he claimed to be the Christ, the Messiah. They have him now. Once again, they didn't have him. Jesus was giving himself over. He was laying his life down. It wasn't anything that they were trying to manipulate. They thought they were the ones in control. Oh, no, 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 no. I am was in control still. But Caiaphas, the high priest, it's interesting, a little uh, side note here, detail mentioned in verse 63, he rent his clothes. Now, under the Mosaic law, the high priest was expressly forbidden to rent his clothes. And Leviticus chapter 10 and verse, and, and verse number 6 and 21 verse 10 talk about that. But the, the, and the Lord answered this piece of play acting shortly after by renting the temple veil, thereby rendering Judah, Judaism null and void. And by the way, once the high priest did that, he basically disqualifies himself from being the high priest. And by the way, Jesus was about to do away with the high priest altogether in just a little bit anyway. Uh, and then Jesus himself would take the place of the great high priest and to be our priest even to this day who is, uh, can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. So Jesus, in that moment, the high priest didn't know what he was doing there. He was basically saying, I'm disqualifying myself. And, uh, and, and then like, who's going to be the next high priest? Oh, well, look who's here. Jesus is. He's not only going to be the high priest, he's going to be the great high priest. Well, then uh, Caiaphas stops the search for other false witnesses because we, we have them right where we want them. And then uh, Jesus committed blasphemy right in front of them, or so they thought. Verse 64, you have heard the blasphemy, what think ye? You heard him just call himself the Christ. You, you called himself I am. He used Jehovah's name there. I mean, isn't that the worst case of blasphemy right here and right now? We just all heard it right in front of us. Well, verse 64, they all condemned him to be guilty of death. They all condemned him to death. There was not one of them that spoke up and said, you know, could it be? That maybe, just maybe, Jesus really is the Christ? Do you think we should maybe give us some time and look into it before sentencing this man to death? Not any one of them said anything of the sorts. Instead, they all condemned him to be guilty of death. But that's not enough. That wasn't enough. Now it was time to unleash their hatred of Jesus. So look with me in verse 65. So they have the sentence of death. Wasn't that enough? No, it wasn't for them. Because verse 65 says, And some began to spit on him. If I invited any one of you up here today, and I spit in your face, how would that make you feel? Probably not real great. You probably wouldn't want to shake my hand and give me a hug afterwards. 
you probably want to use your hand to do something with my face. It's so disrespectful. But I want you to consider for a second, they take their spit and they spit on who? They spit on the one who said, I am. They spit on their creator. They spit on the one who came to set them free from their sin. And there they are. And Jesus doesn't retaliate. It's beyond me. And they covered his face. They, the Bible says they covered his face and to, and, and to buffet him. So they began to hit him, and in many ways they, they, they took a blindfold or, or some type of a bag or, and put it over his head, and they began to knock him upside the head and say, Hey, you're supposed to be God. You just said you're God. Now prophesy. Who just hit you? Tell me the name of the person who just hit you. Complete mockery, complete humiliation to the one who came to set them free to the way, the truth, and the life, to the resurrection and the life, the one who is love, the one who is holy, holy, holy. That's who they were spitting upon. That's who they were hitting with the palms of their hands. A complete mockery. And it's hard to talk about. As I was preparing this, I mean, my heart just sunk as I pictured what was going on there and and the, the person that they were doing that to was not just a person. It was God in human flesh. The one who came in love in Bethlehem's manger and lived a perfect and sinless life and only went about doing good and never sinned and, and was perfect. And, and they're spitting upon him and they're hitting him with their hands. How could they do that? Again, Jesus allowed all of this. He didn't get up and take off the thing and said, I'll tell you what's going to happen to all of you. If it, were, if it would have happened to me, knowing that I was completely innocent, I know what I would have been tempted to do, but Jesus didn't do any of those things. Why did he allow all of this? One reason. To fulfill the scripture in Isaiah 53 in verse number 3, where he says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. We hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised. We esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Why did Jesus endure all of that and more? which we're going to learn about as we get into Mark chapter 15 and, and we look at the cross and the, uh, the process of crucifixion, and the pain and the suffering that he experienced. But not only that, the fact that God the Father turned his back on God the Son as the sky grew dark there at, at noon. Why did Jesus go through all of that? Two main reasons. Because he was obedient to the will of his Father. And secondly, because it was a necessary part of paying the price for your salvation and for mine. Again, 
Isaiah 53, 7. He, or verse 6, or 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. He did that, yes, for his father, but he also did that for you and for me. He did it so that you and I could be saved. So that we could have our sins forgiven. So that we wouldn't perish in hell, but instead have an everlasting life in a place called heaven. So that we could be called the sons of God. I know most of us, when we think about the suffering of Christ, we think about Him on the cross. But there's a lot of suffering that He endured even before He gets to the cross. Including what, I just, what we just read in verse 65. Dealing with the spittle of his creation and having his creation smite him on the face. The writer of Hebrews points back to what we're just reading here in verse 65, this whole scene. And he writes this in Hebrews 12, 3. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. He endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. There was this, he endured all of that. And then he goes on to say, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. See, there's times when it gets tough to keep serving the Lord and keep following God and, and keep doing the things that we know are right and it can get difficult and we can get weary. The writer of Hebrews points back to Jesus and says, Hey, look, he was willing to endure all of that. So maybe you can keep putting one foot in front of the other. So maybe you can continue being faithful in the things that you know you should be. If Jesus can endure all of those things, may the Lord help us to be faithful as he was. So today we've seen Christ in court. And here Jesus is the one standing before the council. But actually, he is the righteous judge himself. Because you see, one day he is going to be the righteous judge. He's not going to be the one on trial. We're going to be the ones on trial. One more verse this morning. Uh, I'm going to ask you to turn to Galatians chapter number 3. <coughs> Galatians in chapter number 3, in verse, well, I'll tell you the verse in a second. I, I want to go back and discuss my time in court as a guilty offender of the law. Again, it was a traffic court, and there were a lot of people there that were going to appear before the judge. When finally it was time for us to go into the courtroom, get settled, the judge comes in, takes a look at the big crowd that's there. Here's what he says. He goes, wow, there's a bunch of you here today. <laughs> um, I'll tell you what. Here's what we're going to do. If you get up when your name is called and simply plead guilty, I'm going to give you a 50% off of your fine. But if you get up and go on and on about how you're not guilty, how you didn't do it, and you start blaming the cop, and you start doing this, and you start going on and on, and I find you guilty, you're going to play 100% of your fine. There's no discount for you. Everyone understand? 
I said, yes, sir. I was like, praise the Lord. <laughs> My wife is going to be a lot happier with me than she is right now. And when it was my turn, when uh, the bailiff called Eric Johnson, and I come to the stand there, he asked me, how do you plead? I said, I am guilty, Your Honor. He said, great, now go pay your fine and slow down next time. And I said, yes, sir. And uh, we'll you talk to my wife and have her let you know if I have slowed down or not since. But... Um, but I got off a lot easier than I could have, okay? Here's the reason I bring that up. Because right now, the righteous judge looks down on us as the guilty ones. Look, we're all guilty. We're all guilty of sin. It's not one of us who can say, oh, no, 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 it wasn't my fault. I mean, I was raised in a broken home. and Nope, we're all guilty before God. We're all ones who have broken the law of God. Ones who have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Ones who, according to Galatians 3, now look in verse number 22, the Scripture hath concluded all under sin. All of us. There's a several pastor's kids in the room today. There's some pastor's daughters, I know that. And there's a pastor's son sitting at the sound booth right now. Well, they must not be sinners. Oh, actually, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> uh, maybe they're even more so. No, I'm kidding. Uh, we're all under, we are all sinners. We are all guilty before God. The scripture has concluded that all are under sin. See, everyone is guilty. All of us have transgressed the law. And you can try to deny, and de deny your sinfulness and defend your actions and blame others, but I guarantee the righteous judge is not going to hear it. And those people, Lord Jesus, the righteous day will one day at the great white throne judgment cast them into the lake of fire. I will talk about that in Revelation chapter 20. But for those who say, you know what? I'm going to admit my guilt. And I'm going to trust the fact that Jesus took my punishment on the cross so that I don't have to pay for my sin anymore. He already paid for it. Those people can have eternal life in heaven. Have you admitted your guilt before God? The righteous judge? See, in this passage we've been studying today in Mark 14, Jesus is the one on trial, but really, ultimately, we're all the ones on trial. And there's not a one of us that can call, I don't care how much money you, you, you have, you can't, call, you can't call a lawyer that's going to defend you well enough to make God go, okay, well, maybe we'll let this one slide. Maybe we'll excuse this person. No, no amount of money, no amount of good works, no amount of anything is going to get you to be not guilty before God. The only way we can not be guilty before God is if we accept Christ as our Savior and then His righteousness is applied to our account and then the Bible calls us justified. As God looks at us, He looks at us through the blood of Christ and He looks at us and says, it's just as if they've never sinned. But we have to admit our guilt. And we have to believe on Christ. There's no, that's the only way to be saved. The righteous judge is looking for people now who will admit, like I did, that I was guilty of breaking the law and not trying to excuse it and justify it. And say, well, I did it because of this. 
Just admit it. You go on and on, guess what's going to end up happening? You're going to have to pay the full fine yourself. And it's not going to be pretty. I got a 50% discount that day. But you know, for everybody who comes to Christ, we get a 100% discount. See, he's already paid it all. We just have to admit our debt, our guilt. We have to believe what Christ did for us and apply it to our account. If you're here and you've never done that, I would encourage you to do that today. And if you're here and you have done that, and maybe there's, you've allowed some distance to come between you and the Lord, let's shorten that distance today. Let's draw nigh to Him today. And when we do, He promises to draw nigh to us. I'm thankful for that. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for this passage of Scripture, and it's hard to read some of it. As we read about how the Savior... The Lamb of God, which came to take away our sin, was spit upon and hit and mocked and humiliated. Where was Peter? Lord, many times we're like Peter. We're following, but we're not near as close as we should be. God, I pray you draw us closer to you today. Help us to take those steps, whatever that step may be. Lord, I pray for those who need to take that step of salvation, who need to place their faith in Christ. I pray that today would be the greatest day of their life. May they come to Jesus and be born again. May they admit their guilt before you and realize that you, Jesus, took their place on the cross, paid the price for their sin. May they trust that today. And Lord, I pray that you would Maybe maybe the next step is uh, to get baptized. Maybe it's to join uh, this local assembly here at Cornerstone Baptist Church to get plugged into the ministry here. Maybe it's to start reading reading their Bible and having personal devotions on a daily basis. Maybe it's to start witnessing to their coworkers and their neighbors and their friends and family. Uh, Maybe it's uh, I I don't know whatever you're calling them to do, Lord. I pray they would take that next step. God, I pray you'd help us to draw close to you, and we're grateful for the promise there that you will draw close to us if we do.